The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So, Mari, what's your show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about relationships, and it's about this great idea, this great book called Redate Your Mate. So let me tell you a little bit about our wonderful guest Sheila Dean is a relationship coach, best-selling author, and a speaker. She's counseled more than 2,000 couples since 1983, and she is the author of this book called Frequent Foreplay Miles, Your Ticket to Total Intimacy, and it's a guide to improving emotional in- intimacy for couples. Now, her latest book, which I have right in front of me, great book, it's called Redate Your Mate, Four Steps to Falling in Love All Over Again, and it's the Boomer Edition, which I happen to be one of those boomers, and so are you, Lloyd, so we're part of that baby boomer. This is good for us. Sheila began studying the dynamics of personal relationships during her two-decade career as an estate and family attorney before retiring from law to begin coaching in 2004, and she blends her humor, insight, and practical meat-and-potatoes approach to help couples find a better way to navigate the friendly and sometimes not so friendly skies of life while having a darn good time doing it in relationships and in marriage. So you can find out more about her at Sheila Dean, that's spelled S-H-E-L-A-D-E-A-N.com. And we're thrilled to have you join us, Sheila. Thank you so much. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Okay. So how is it that you wrote this first book? Your first book. Uh, my first book, Frequent yes. Foreplay Miles? Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it started in my own marriage. Um, way back at the beginning, my husband is a great guy. He's nearly perfect in my opinion, but he has one major flaw and that he has absolutely no sense of time. And for a clock Nazi like me, that was more annoying than a swarm of mosquitoes. So I tried everything. I gave him subtle hints. I tried nagging him a little. And he never seemed to really get the message. So one day I said to him, Honey, there's something you need to know about being in a relationship. And that's that foreplay is all day, every day, 24-7. It's everything you do that affects how I feel about you. So here's an idea for you. Why don't you try racking up some frequent foreplay miles by being on time? The more miles you rack up, the happier I'm going to be, and you can fill in the blanks from there. (laughs) 
so uh, we laughed about it, but he got it, and we realized over time that really um, that that philosophy had legs. Just rack up as many frequent foreplay miles as you can, lose as few as possible, and you're bound to have a happier relationship. So that was the genesis of it, and it grew into a strategy for helping couples have greater intimacy, and ultimately I memorialized that strategy in the book. Yeah, and then you wrote this newer book, Redate Your Mate. So how did that come into being? Well, you know, I, I'm a boomer too, and uh, one of the things that, that I found sad is that the Tipper Gore marriages of 20, 30, and, you know, 40 years were ending. The Allen Tipper Gore marriages were ending, and I thought, why is that? And when I started researching, um, I realized that there was actually a name for this called gray divorce because in the boomer demographic is the only group where divorce is actually on the rise. And I was really curious about that and, and why it was and if there was something that we could do about it. And I think there is. And um, what I've discovered is that a lot of people are tossing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, boomers are saying, yeah, my marriage was good enough, but it's not good enough anymore. And a lot of boomers are also saying, I want some breathing room. I want room to experience more personal growth and thinking that they needed to get rid of their marriage in order to do that. And I thought that was a pity. So I developed a strategy to say, wait a minute, what if you could redate the spouse you have, knowing what you know now, and do it wiser and better the second time around? Yes. So why don't you explain to my audience what do you mean by redate? Well, redate to me means bringing the best of dating into your marriage. I, I say that dating is to marriage what foreplay is to sex. It's the seduction phase of your relationship when everything that we do is designed to, well, rack up freaking foreplay miles. It's designed to seduce our sweetheart into loving us and wanting to spend the rest of our life with us. But once we seal the deal and flip that ring on the, on the finger, we tend to sigh a relief that we don't have to do that anymore. We, we, we think that once we've, you know, the chase has been successful, we can relax a little bit. And also, at the same time, we relax into the relationship. Our focus changes from the chase to um, setting up our nest, setting up our nest egg, having a family. And um, the best of dating then goes by the wayside. And that best of dating is that seduction part of what we do when we're dating. Now, you gave some great examples of, of that redating. You want to give one of those examples, like what, you know, you gave some couples and, and even your own life. Why don't you just kind of share an, an example of redating? Well, redating is four steps. Um, the first step is to recreate the dating you, and that's to... Uh, turn yourself into the person that you want to be. You know, when we're dating, we are independent and we're making our own choices and we're living our own life. But once we get married, we have to meld our life with our sweethearts and we can have a sense of loss of independence. And we also, you know, come into marriage with so many filters and so many 
false beliefs and, and things that don't serve us, low self-esteem, problems and things that get in the way of being the best we can be. So recreating the dating you is going back and saying, who am the person that I really want to be and what do I need to do to become that person? The second step is to rejuvenate dating behavior, and that is to be to go back to that time when you were generous and positive towards your sweetheart. You know, we have a uh, human beings have a negativity bias. Uh, studies have shown that it takes five positives to overcome one negative. So. As time goes on and you have misunderstandings and things about your sweetheart that drive you nuts, you can find that pretty soon you're focusing on the negative and you've lost that positive, generous state of mind that you had back when you were dating. So the second step is to bring that positivity and generosity back. The third step is to reawaken a dating mindset. Actually, I, what I just explained was, re, was to reawaken a dating mindset of positive and generosity. The third step is to rejuvenate dating behavior, and that's to once again engage in that everyday foreplay that I just talked about, where you are really paying attention to the little things and make, giving your spouse reasons to want to be married to you every single day. And finally, to revitalize your marriage model and, you know, boomers got married under the husband as, as breadwinner model, or at least they were raised under that. And today's marriage model is more egalitarian. So when a boomer couple is dissatisfied with the marriage that they have, they don't need to throw it away. They can actually are free to remodel it to be anything that they want it to be. So those four steps or what redating is really all about. And you gave some really cute examples of what people would do in, in your book, you know, to actually redate, you know, to, to make it more romantic, to do things, not, you know, and you even talk about, you know, taking baths together, but you go further in talking about, you know, setting up a date that you really get something, that make it special, make it a very, very uh, special yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, redating isn't about date night, but date night is part of redating. Mm -hmm. And date night, I, you know, so many couples, when they have date night, they say, yeah, what do you want to do? I don't know. Let's go to a movie. Okay. They get dressed together. They go, they come home and it's big deal, you know? But if you really can set it up like it was back when you were dating, so what I suggest to my couples is, guys, get dressed early and then get out. Go have the car washed, go have the beer, go to the flower shop, just entertain your shop and give your wife room to what I call floss and gloss, to get all pretty for you. Because, you know, Mari, we, we women, we love to get prettied up and we don't want to be pressured. You know, I like to crank up the music, get a glass of wine and go through my closet and maybe try on 10 things before I feel perfect <laughs> in what I'm wearing, you know? Right, right. And I don't want to do that with my husband standing there, you know, drumming his fingers like, when are you going to be ready? Right. So I want him to be gone so that when he gets back to pick me up, I'm looking hot and, and he can really appreciate, you know, how pretty I look, and that I got pretty for him. And then I also, and so ring the doorbell. I want the guys to ring the doorbell, let her answer the door, and, and make, you know, and an, uh, present herself looking, looking her absolute best. And then I want you to start your date with a kiss, a really good, passionate, passionate kiss that sets the mood for the date. And while you're out on your date, don't talk about the same old stuff. 
And when you get home, I want you to kiss again. And even, you know, heck, make out in the car. Enjoy your, your, your time before you go back into the house. Because when you go back into the house, you tend to go back into, you know, the, the married side of things. And if you happen to have children at home and have a babysitter, what I always say to the wife is don't even speak to the babysitter because the minute you do, you're back to being mom. Just go upstairs and let dad take care of the babysitter because he's not going to lose his mood. So I, I think it's really, you know, you can set up a really fun date. And the other thing I like couples to do is to have an email account that they use just for foreplay. Um, so I even suggest that you set it up so that the name uh, reminds you of what it's for, like Foreplay at gmail.com. Yeah, and I read that in your book, and I have to tell you, as a privacy professional, emails are really not private, so you might want to think of encrypting it. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it depends on how X-rated you want yeah, to make yeah, it, Yeah, right? but even yeah. so, you know, I mean, even so, yeah. I mean, other people can read it, your kids could read it. It sometimes goes to the wrong person, things can be hacked, so you might want to just consider doing a little attachment that you just, if you do it in Word, you can just quickly do a... a you know, uh, an encryption and get, do a password that could be kind of sexy or something. I was I wanted to tell you that as the privacy expert that I am, I I wanted to just kind of share that with you. Kind of scared good, me a little bit. So yeah, that's a, good note. Good note. I'll I'll, I'll t- look into that. <laughs> um, but the point is, is that it's often more fun and 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 you feel a little freer to put something that might be a little risque or a little out there when you can put it in writing and it's fun to read and you can read it again and you know it's like getting a voicemail that you say that you listen to over and over and over again it just adds that little bit of titillation and allows you to really set up your date by um uh, you know teasing and then following up afterwards and and it's it's playful and fun. It gives you a, a way to express yourself differently. So let me ask you this. How about the hormones? When they wear off, is, is that when conflict begins in a marriage? Yeah, it, it, it definitely, um, you know, when those blinders come off, we don't, we don't really know what, what causes the first spark of attraction to fly. What we know is that once it does, your brain goes into overdrive producing a cocktail of hormones that makes you completely loopy on love. It actually has the same effect on your brain as a narcotic. It's why when we're in those early falling in love days, our palms can get sweaty, our hearts actually race when we see each other, and we can get really obsessive. I mean, you know, in those early days, it's all you can think about. It's all you can talk about until your friends just want to scream. But um, (laughs) and, And that's Mother Nature's way of getting you together, and making you want to mate and and um, have, you know, kids, which is her job, is to keep the species going. But you can't sustain that forever. Um, eventually, the effect, that, uh, that, that crazy obsessive effect of those hormones wears off so that the blinders come off and eventually you realize your perfect 10 is really a flawed 6 or 7. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, that's when the trouble can begin. And sometimes couples... When they lose that euphoric falling in love feeling, they think they got it wrong, and they throw in the towel when really it's just as a natural course of events in a relationship. So so how do we get those hormones going again? Is there a way to do that? 
Well, there's a way to stimulate some of them. The, the fact of the matter is you can't exactly get that same euphoric feeling again. Uh, but you can do things to stimulate some of those hormones. One thing you can do is, yep, eat libido-increasing foods. There really are foods out there that are like aphrodisiacs. The good news is it's not ground rhino horn. It's really good (laughs) stuff like chocolate and asparagus and strawberries and avocados. And there's really a wonderful cookbook called Intercourses, an aphrodisiac cookbook, and it's by Martha Hopkins and Randall Lockridge. And it's got gorgeous photographs, and the recipes are also pretty good, too. Um, One thing you do is exercise together. Any exercise elevates your mood. But strenuous exercise, such as jogging, increases dopamine. And when you exercise together, especially when you get sweaty together or if you're competing with each other, like playing a game of tennis, that that raises your libido. Hmm. Uh, Doing new things um, is the variety, well, new things is the variety, variety is the spice of life, as they say. But also trying new things um, and exciting things that you do together um, especially if there's a bit of excitement and, and even a little touch of danger sometimes that stimulates adrenaline, which stimulates testosterone, which stimulates feelings of lust. Um, and having sex, that does it too. Yeah. Laughter. Yeah, laughter stimulates dopamine. Um, so have fun. Loosen up. Have a good time because it really does make you feel good and um, it does stimulate those hormones. And just getting away, I know whenever we go away for a weekend or we go away for a a little vacation, you're away from all the drudgery of home. And Mm -hmm. that just, you know, you can have fun like you did when you first met. I mean, when we go to Hawaii, we met in Hawaii. And when we go back to Hawaii, we just play like we did then, you know. And and it just is just so relaxing to be away from the computer and away from all the hassles of work. And uh, that's another thing is just even if you don't have a lot of money, you can just do something, just get away somewhere. Oh, you can even just go to the airport and watch planes take off and, and create a bucket list and, and talk about where you'd like to go and where is that plane going and what are those people doing. You can go out at night and just watch the stars come out, uh, read the travel section together and, and, you know, do you, there are small things that you can do just to get out of your environment um, that um, do stimulate that togetherness and that fun and that play, which is so good for you and so good for your relationship. You know, I, I notice for my mediations, I have I have quite a few that are those older people that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've been married 30 years, 40 years. I even had a couple that was married 60 years. And oh, I thought, my. Oh, yeah. It was just very painful for, for them. And, you know, they had just... They had gotten to the point where they were really hateful, but they were smart enough to get into mediation. But it's very, very sad. So, Sheila, I've noticed in my mediations that a lot of the divorcing couples are either, like you said, a lot of the the gray divorces, which they're 30 years, sometimes 40, 25 years. But I've also noticed a lot of them like 17 years and is that something that you see when you're with couples that are tr- that you're trying to help? Is are those a, a, a breaking point or something like that? I think those are often couples who feel their children are old enough to handle the divorce, mm-hmm. and they, and they're also going through that second seven year itch. You know, it seems to cycle every seven years or so, mm-hmm. and there really is 
that really is that phenomenon. So at 14, 15, 16 years, you know, they've just had enough, and the kids are old enough to um, to uh, tolerate, they think, the divorce. Yes. So what's one good piece of advice for couples? Uh, the one advice I give all couples is treat every moment as one that makes or break your relationship because no relationship is fine one day and sick the next. Every failed relationship suffers death by a thousand cuts, so you want to avoid as many of those cuts as you can. Treat every moment as one that's special. That sounds great. And I have a friend and her husband that every night they say five things to each other that they're both thankful for from each other. And that's really a nice thing, to thank the other person at least five things every night. That's wonderful. Isn't it wonderful? It's wonderful. Yeah, that's a lovely, lovely um, intimacy ritual. So, Sheila, what do you tell clients when they say, you know, Sheila, we've grown apart, we don't have anything in common anymore, no, not the same interests. What do you tell them? Well, first of all, I tell them you don't have to have the same interests. In fact, different interests is part of what makes you interesting and probably what brought you together way back when you were dating. And I'd also say that if they have children together, then they certainly have that interest in common, not to mention the marriage itself. And what's more, they can certainly develop common interests, even if it's just taking a walk together at night. So with a little creativity and a little motivation, that no interest gap can easily be closed. And most of the time when you've grown apart, it usually means that you've just stopped talking to each other. So once you start talking again, I mean, really talking and spending quality time together, most couples will find that that gap closes rather readily. Hmm. So what about counseling? What if one party wants to go to the counselor, but the other one won't go? Well, go anyway, because when you go into counseling, first of all, your spouse, your partner is not solely responsible for the condition of the marriage. As much as we'd like to blame the other person, we bear some responsibility for it as well. And it could be things we're not even aware of, baggage that we bring from our childhood, filters that we see things through. And so going into counseling on your own can help you see the ways in which you are contributing to the marriage, but also in ways in which you can improve your own life in your own um way of seeing things and your own way of behavior. And, you know, it's often been said that the best way to change someone's behavior is to first change your own. So when you go to counseling by yourself, you can get insight into you, how you're contributing, how you can make little changes that are going to encourage your spouse to make changes as well. You may learn new communication skills. Problem solving may become easier. You may find a way to forgive things that you haven't been able to forgive or thought you could never forgive. So a counselor can help you in many, many ways. And if the marriage ultimately ends, the counselor can help you deal with that as well. The other point I would make is sometimes uh, people don't want to go to counseling because of the stigma attached to it. In fact, studies show that people wait on average, I think it's six years, after identifying a problem before going into counseling. I mean, we would never have an unexplained lump somewhere in our body and wait six years to go to the doctor or, yeah, or have a knock in our engine, but what's, and and not have it looked at for six years. So because of the stigma of going to counseling, 
um, often people will, will not want to go, where they may be more willing to go to coaching. And there's really a big difference. Counseling is sort of dependent upon uh, finding something wrong and fixing it. Coaching is a more positive approach that says, hey, where are you now? Where do you want to be? What are the obstacles in your way? And how do we get there? You know, people are willing to get coaching at work. They're willing to get coaching on the softball team, on their bowling team, for many other things. So sometimes saying, Can we, let's go with a coach to help us, you know, figure out how to get where we want to be has, is less stigmatizing. So I would recommend that, take that approach as well. Yes, and counseling often looks backward, and then people start to look at blame, who did what, but coaching is looking, like you said, present and forward. Yeah, and coaching yeah. people, like you said, people say, oh, I have an executive coach. That's kind of a thing that uh, people are proud of. So you're it's absolutely... It's a badge of honor, right? Yes, right, yeah, yeah. And, and our words are so powerful. And uh, when you talk about counseling, I think that's another thing. When, when one person goes to counseling and they start to change, that automatically will cause a change in the relationship. If one person changes, then the the whole dynamics changes. That's absolutely right. In fact, I uh, once got, I mean, it was the nicest email I ever got. It came out of the clear blue sky, and a woman wrote to me, and she said, Sheila, I read your book, and I want you to know that, that first I had to read it twice to get it, but when I did, it really changed my life, and I changed my behavior. I never said a word to my husband. And um, one day he said to me, what's come over you? It, it, you're so much nicer, more pleasant to be around. And she said, I read this book. And they had been together for 25 years. And she asked him to read the book. He did. And it completely transformed their relationship. But the key thing there was that, that she went to him and said, I want you to read this book and you need to change. She, cha- she put in the change. And he said, wow, this is great. What what?" How can I do my part? You know, he didn't have a gun to his head. He was so happy to see this positive change in her that he wanted to jump on the bandwagon as well. And they've been together for 25 years. They're still together. I hear from her every once in a while, and she said things just keep getting better and better. So, that I mean, that's a real testament to what it, what it can mean to change yourself Yes. First, because really that's the only thing you have any control over anyway. And that's hard yourself. enough, right? <laughs> and that's hard enough. No kidding. No kidding. If you think it's hard to change, you know, your, somebody yourself, yes. try changing somebody else. Exactly. Right. Well, you, I know you used to do divorce, and I do divorce mediation, so I think we should probably address the issue. When is divorce the best option? Well, you know, clearly when there's abuse involved, and abuse can be both physical and mental, um, if, there's, if you're in an abusive situation and your partner won't go get the help that's needed to end that abuse, you need to get out. I mean, there's no question about it. And sometimes, you know, Mari, there are just situations where, you know, when I got a divorce from my from my ex-husband, we just looked at each other one day and said, you know what, we should never have gotten married in the first place. And we parted amicably, and we remain friends to this day. And we can get married for the wrong reasons. In fact, most of us do get married for the wrong reasons. Um, often uh, the reasons to stay together are different. But I think when you've tried everything reasonable, including changing yourself, and it just doesn't get any better, then divorce is definitely an option. But I think that once you get to that point, you know it's an option because you can look at each other and say, we need to part ways, and how can we do this in a way that allows the other to get on 
with their life in a positive way. It's not one of those acrimonious, bitter divorces, because I always say if you, the more acrimonious the divorce is, the more issues you have that you can work on. Right, exactly. So thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and we will hope that everybody gets a chance to look at your new book, Redate Your Mate, and uh, we'll have you back again. Thank you so much. I'd love it. Thanks. It's been my pleasure. Okay. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org and the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 830 AM and go to our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.